This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe today. Off Scripts Time Capsule. Rating and ranking the years that have shaped us. I'm Robbie Greenfield and alongside me is Chris McCarty and Sona Rapani. Working our way through the years, we'll highlight world events, cultural achievements and the stories that have been forgotten. I'm excited about this one, I've got to tell you. I thought I'd start this edition of the Time Capsule something a little bit different. I'm going to throw a quiz question Love out it. there from the year 2002. Have a listen to the following clip and tell us who this is auditioning in the very first season of American Idol. At last, my love has come along and life is Heck of a voice. Don't give a clue. A little by the clue. Way. No, 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 I don't think it's needed. I really don't. No, okay. First season I don't American think so Idol. either. We're going to get to that when okay. we cover television. But um, international events, I say international events, I didn't really look at any real political, consequential international events of 2002. I focused on the inane stuff, as we always do in the time capsule. Back in this year, the average web surfer spent 46 minutes a day online. I spent 46 minutes a day online before I have breakfast these days. Um, AOL was the most popular website, and favourite web searches included Spider-Man, Shakira, and Star Wars. The three S's. Yeah. It took an average of 12.5 minutes to download a song on a 56K modem, and it took 16 seconds for a web page to load. And Do you remember those days? It. it was such a great time, though, when you had that, that song that played from the modem. You <laughs> I know? just remember the dial-up. That's what I had. That's what I meant. <laughs> That's what I meant by song. The dial-up, yeah, the dial-up song, as That's I call what, it. The dial-up. That's when you knew you were getting on yeah. to the world wide web. It was so exciting when it was new. The whole Now we house. take it for granted. I remember sneaking downstairs to where we had a big yeah. desktop computer. What are you doing up, Chris? I'm not up. Yes, you are. You've just spoken back. Yeah, enough i'd be off the bed <laughs> i'd never get away with it for one of those more names now my random story from 2002 involves a team of british scientists this really did this made me laugh more than what they were studying because they got together in 2002 when clearly they had way too much time on their hands to decipher the world's funniest joke the british association for the advancement of science no less examined 40,000 wisecracks <laughs> and wisecracks. this this joke that they eventually unveiled as supposedly the funniest that's ever been written uh, was panned by critics. The Daily Show's Lewis Black says, if the British are spending money on this, God knows what else they're spending it on. Um, it was Richard Wiseman of the University of Hertfordshire who was ultimately tasked with summarising the experiments, which was all done under the guise of a programme which they called Laugh Lab. <laughs> right. And apparently... they got to make it official. Yeah, they got to make it official. Now, the research included discovering the joke that had the widest appeal and understanding among different cultures, demographics, and countries. Even the History Channel got involved in this. It became a bit of a thing in 2002. Are you ready to hear the joke? Have you got the joke? I've got the joke. Right then. Okay. okay. This, this, is, is, this is officially the best joke ever written, okay? Not me, not me saying this. This is Richard Wiseman and his crackpot team of scientists <laughs> from the University of Hertfordshire, okay? <laughs> Two hunters are out in the woods when one of them collapses. He doesn't seem to be breathing and his eyes glaze over. The other guy whips out his phone and calls the emergency services and he gasps, My friend is dead. What can I do? 
The operator says, calm down. Okay, take a deep breath. I can help. First, let's make sure he's dead. There's a silence. Then a gunshot is heard. Back on the phone, the guy says, okay, now what? Oh, no. That is not the best they could do. Oh, Chris is loving it. Chris enjoyed it. He's loving it. Chris is loving it. Chris really enjoyed it. I was not expecting that reaction. I was not expecting that either. Oh, dear. We are off to the movies of 2002. And what we've done in the last couple of weeks, this a suggestion from producer Rog, is we've all kind of nominated our own personal favourites when it comes to films, music and sporting moments. So we'll start with you, Chris. Movies, your selection for 2002. I'm just going to play this. The government's top agent. I can't remember anything that happened before two weeks ago. Abija? Yes. Is about to become their number one target. What's in Paris? It's a name, Jason Bourne. Let's see if the Paris police can find him for us. And the only way he can survive is to find out who he is before they find out. You got the address? I think I got it. Enhance Where he is. Get everybody up. I want them all activated. Do it now! That is Bourne identity. And you know what? I'm going to put it out there. It might annoy one or two. I actually think the Bournes are better than the Bonds. Mm-hmm. As films, yeah. I, I mean, um... Yeah, once you strip away all the sort of cliches that go alongside James Bond and you just analyse the filmmaking, mm. I'd agree with you. Yeah, the Bournes are phenomenal. And, and I think the Bournes influenced the Daniel Craig Bonds heavily. I, I don't disagree with that, yeah. Because let's be honest, it was all a little bit Whole kitsch, yeah. wasn't it? That's are, the word. Are all the Bournes good? I've only ever watched yeah, the first uh, one. I did enjoy the first one, but the, I don't know if I'd the, watch the, anymore. It's Bourne Supremacy, then Ultimatum, or is it the other yeah, way around? That's the one. The, yeah, the The third one is excellent. The, there's a fight scene in Marrakesh, over in Morocco, uh, in essentially a bathroom, uh, which is just unbelievable. And I believe Matt Damon himself actually did those stunts himself. It's just an incredible piece of cinema for yeah. about a couple of minutes. On incredible. that fight scene, the martial arts style that they used is called Kali. Uh, it's K-A-L-I, and it's one that uses the energy of his or her opponent against them. Hmm. Uh, director Doug Lemon figured that that's what Jason Bourne would use. And also, this is something I didn't realise, Brad Pitt, Sylvester Stallone, and Russell Crowe could have been Bourne. Pitt was offered the part, ultimately turning it down to work on Spy Game, which was a bit of a bit yeah. of a misstep from him. Yeah. Uh, Liman went, he met with Crowe and Stallone as well, but Matt Damon was the actor that he thought best understood what they were trying to do with the oh, character. It's uh, Jason Bourne is Matt Damon. There's no two ways about it. And Jer- Jeremy Renner, didn't he come back for uh, a spin-off? He did. And, and it was, no, not for me. Oh, I like Jeremy Renner. Fantastic mm. in the heart locker. He's just not Jason Bourne. No, agreed, agreed. So, no, your choice for 2002? Mine also incorporates some martial arts. It's one that you guys weren't familiar with. It's called Hero. Yeah, let's take a listen. A soldier with no name. A warrior with supernatural skill. And no fear. On a mission of revenge against the army that massacred his people. I'm hooked. I can't tell you how much I love this movie when I watched it. And I was talking to producer Raj um, a little bit earlier today and just saying, you know, it's been almost 20 years. I wonder if I'd still like it. So it's hard to kind of recommend because I don't remember it that well. But I remember, you know, when you finish a film and you're just completely blown away. Yeah. 
I mean, it was genius. It was just the colors, the visual aspects of it, the cinematography. It's a Jet Li film, so the martial arts within it as well, the storyline, every aspect about that. And this is how much I liked it, because I came in today, and Rob said, you can't choose Two Towers, because you picked Lord of the Rings last week. Even if I could pick Two Towers, I'd still pick Hero. Whoa. Okay, that's a ring endorsement. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Quentin Tarantino, actually, um, Chris, you brought this up today. I didn't realize anything about him related to this movie. He wasn't involved in making the movie, but because this got released in China and did so well there, he was insistent that it was a masterpiece that should be released elsewhere internationally. So he really pushed for it to be released on a more broad basis. Wow, okay. I think we need to check that out. That needs to go on the list. on the list. The much shorter list that you've got going on, Chris. Mine is, uh, this is against my nature really to do this. This is for me, I'm going to say this, probably the only genuinely great film I believe this actor has been in. I've been a murderer in six years. There's nothing wrong with the system. It is perfect. I agree. Murder can be stopped. Tell me exactly what it is you're looking for. Flaws. Did we get any false positives? We are arresting individuals who have broken no law. But they will. The fact that you prevent it from happening doesn't change the fact that it was going to happen. The system can't be wrong. Run! Wait! You say something to you? No. You're in a lot of trouble, John. I have a warrant in my pocket that says murder. Minority Report, a first collaboration between director Steven Spielberg and Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise persuaded not to take a salary by Steven Spielberg. They agreed instead that they would take approximately 15% of the box office apiece. The film made $358 million. Thank you very much to both Steven Spielberg and Tom Cruise. And actually a think tank was organised to help imagine the future. In order to determine what the world might be like in 2054, which is when the film was set, Spielberg brought brought together 23 futurists for a brainstorming session. He wanted a reality-based future instead of a science fiction one. Mm -hmm. All 23 of the participants believed that privacy was going to be a thing of the past. And as we fast forward 20 years to now, I think we've seen that a lot of that was borne out. 80-page 2054 Bible, apparently, was on hand to keep the movie's universe consistent. We did interview one of those 23, a futurist, back in the day. I can't recall his name right now, but yeah, we talked about how some of his ideas were incorporated into the movie it and is a great movie. just the idea of projecting the current trends to what our future world is going to look like producer rog has nominated this the following a little switch in gear for train spotting's danny boyle so who are you wake up today and hospital wake up and i'm, I'm hallucinating Hello. i've got some bad news they're infected infected it's a zombie apocalypse movie called 28 days later set in london um it really was sort of what brought the attention of the world to killian murphy as yes. well and uh, i've not personally seen it neither have i the Mrs. producer rog has nominated it. Are not her thing. That's his favourite movie from 2002. Other that we do have to pay homage to very quickly. Um, let's have this one. I mean, we, we can't not pay tribute to this. The Two Towers. There will be no dawn for men. It's the ring. Bruno! It's taking hold of you. You have the gift of foresight. Tell me what you have seen. He is not coming back. The defences have to hope. They will hold. There's nothing for you here. Only death. There is still hope. 
by many people's estimation, the best of the trilogy, the Two Towers, the middle one, the Battle of Helm's Deep was the, the kind of centrepiece, the, fi- the finale to that film. And just a fun fact for you, the extras that were greater than six feet tall were needed to play the Urukai, but unfortunately they couldn't find enough tall people. Okay, so they had to go ahead me. with casting shorter extras, and those were given the nickname Uruk Lo. <laughs> Very good. I like that. Uh, this, uh, the other thing about this amazing f- scenery in the film, shot in New Zealand, there's a scene where Gandalf calls for his horse and it gallops across the field right to him. And apparently this was captured in just one take. Huh? That is incredible. Beautiful. Yeah. That is some and that, by the way, how good is the voice of Christopher Lee? Yes. Yeah. Yep. So Ian McKellen and Christopher Lee, has there ever been a better voice double act than that when it comes to well obviously they were wizards and they're probably the only wizarding double act i can think of <laughs> but in terms of two men with ridiculous voices yeah. christopher lee and Sarian mckellen yeah i mean absolutely brilliant i agree with you that hands down was the best of the trilogy that particular movie as well Yeah, i thought that the final one dragged a bit mm. if, I'm, if i'm totally honest I was kind of. Oh, I wouldn't say I'm over it. Cinematic but masterpieces. There was that scene where Legolas in the battle is like sliding down a shield, and he's just shooting arrows as he goes yeah. down the wall of the tower. Remember it. Yeah. Remember it well. Yeah, it was brilliant. Other films was very quickly. Gangs of New York. Catch me if you can. Um, Eight Mile, which is great just for the rap battle alone. It certainly is. White Rabbit, Little Rabbit. What is he? Bunny Rabbit. Bunny Rabbit. There you it? have it. Um, Television was in a vintage year for TV. It Rob? was actually. It was the start of one of the greatest. Shows Shows by popular consent of all time. But you start to follow the money, and you don't know where it's going to take you. You think I have time to ask a man why he's giving me money or where he gets his money from? The game is out there, and it's either play or be a play. In the top three for me, that is The Wire. Dominic West stars in it, amongst others. Idris Elba, of course, made his... Yeah, I've, I've still not gotten around to it. I watched the, thir- the Wire? Yeah, I've got, I watched a few of the first series episodes, couldn't get into it, found it too slow. And it coincided with The Sopranos, which I was heavily into, and I just didn't, didn't ever get into it. A good friend it. of ours, Matt Fortune, has started. He's on season four, and even now, all these years later, what is it, almost 20 years later, it has stood the test of time. It is a magnificent box set, if you are that way inclined. We are going to get to our quiz question because this was the show that launched in 2002 American Idol and it introduced the world to the caustic judging talents of Mr. Simon Cowell. Take a listen to this clip. My girl. Stephen, Stephen, Stephen. Stop. That was terrible. I mean, seriously terrible. (laughs) I love a little plaintive my girl at the end. Uh, This was one of my favourite Simon Cowell one-liners. The day the music died. It just did. Uh, so he made a huge impact. Uh, in fact, uh, Paula Abdul apparently quit eight times during her first day on the job, mainly due to how rude Simon Cowell was. She said in an interview, you're used to in Hollywood people being rude, but usually they do it behind your back. It's very yeah. rare to have someone be so rude to you in front of your face. But we did play you that clip. Let's play it one more time. It was the way the, the star was discovered. Here's the clip. At last, my love has come along. And life is like a song. 
that was. That was Kelly Clarkson, probably the second most successful graduate of American Idol behind Carrie Underwood, who apparently has a net worth of $70 million, five albums, seven Grammy Awards, and a lot of other impressive achievements to her name. But Kelly Clarkson, not far behind her. So, um, yeah, amazing to think that that was nearly 20 years ago that that show was launched and it's still rumbling on. Have you ever watched one of the seasons of American I Idol? Did, no, I did, yeah, never. back in the day I did. Yeah. yeah. I, I watched only ever one, the one with Adam Lambert in it. Yes, of course. Yeah, Adam, he was a very popular it was winner. amazing. He would go on to... What? He didn't actually win. He finished second. He finished second. He? Yeah, yeah. It's a bit like Gareth Gates. A bit controversial. And yeah. Over in uh, American that uh, was uh, Pop Idol. Pop Idol the year before. Yeah. yeah. Let's move on to music. And now it's fair to say that the start of this decade has not been glorious when it comes to music. We've we've really not we've not enjoyed it. No. Let's be honest. Mm. Um I think there was a bit of a renaissance this year. There was a lot of different alternative styles and indie bands that were breaking out, so I've tried to cherry pick a few of those. We'll start with our selections for Song of the Year, and I have taken the liberty of selecting Chris's for this week. Oh, and I can tell you what Rob you've absolutely nailed it was I right you were absolutely spot on. That song, of course, synonymous <laughs> with the darts. Yeah, that's why I picked it. Is what that is. That is a song. Oh, my goodness. If my mum was listening to this right now, she'd be dancing as well. Big fan of the darts is my mum. That is uh, Planet Funk, Chase the Sun. You're absolutely brilliant to pick that. I thought you were going to pick Hero Enrique Iglesias. No, no. I, I saw that and I thought that is Chris McCarty's song of it the year, really Case Closed. Yeah, it really is. Now, I was going to suggest that something by Nelly or Missy Elliott or maybe even N.E.R.D. was Sonal Rapani's song of the year, but I was wrong. No, I decided to have a little bit more fun with it this time around. Take a listen. You know how you didn't get that joke earlier? That is how I feel about your taste in music, so... (laughs) (laughs) Listen, this is not a song that I'm kicking back and listening to now in 2021, right? But this is... It was just a fun choice from the air. Yeah. I'm not, I wasn't take, I'm not taking my choices too seriously. No, sure. Let's put it, it, that was, way. it was It was capturing a moment in time. Exactly. And that's actually where mine comes from, because, again, I wouldn't probably listen to this band anymore, but I went to see them in Brixton, of all places, and for some reason, this album, I listened to it all the time in 2002. It's a band called Athlete. Have you ever right. heard of them? I have, yeah. I'm looking yeah. forward to here we go. this clip. I said, Vehicles and Animals is the album that this comes from, and I have to admit, it was a real feel-good album. Yeah, listening to this, Rob, you'd have been, what, 21? Yeah. 21 years of age. Yeah, I wouldn't have pegged that for Robbie. Would have never guessed this in a million years. I don't think I've even heard this before. Yeah, I think very good. This song, Mm -hmm. did it go to number one, Rob? I think it, I'm not sure. They were quite left field. They weren't weren't a mainstream. I'm impressed with that. I wouldn't have had you pegged down for that. You got the style. Well, Keeping to us on our to. toes. I'm trying to. And producer Roger's pick for best song is this. Empty at the end. 
Why am I immediately transported? It was a magazine, Kerrang. Do you remember yeah. Kerrang? I don't know why. I just had the image of the front cover of that, listening to that song there. Kerrang. Any UK listeners will know. It was a weekly or monthly kind I of think so. grunge. Yeah, kind music. of grunge indie magazine. That's yeah, that's by the Electric Soft Parade. So you can see there the rejuvenation of indie alternative rock, the emergence of Coldplay, which we'll get to in a second, the ubiquitous presence of a rapper called Nelly. I'm not <laughs> sure what he was doing. I mean, there, there was still the usual bump at the top of the charts yeah. um, but I want to play this one this was by a band called Queens of the Stone Age and it's a cracking tune So someone asked the lead singer Josh Homme what the song was all about, and he said, it's a mystery, no one knows. And apparently that's exactly what it's all about. Nobody knows what it's about. And apparently it's catharsis for the band, so they prefer not to talk about it. How meta. Yeah, exactly, yeah. (laughs) How elusive of them. It's a good song, though. Yeah, it's a great song. It's a great song. Next up, the Red Hot Chili Peppers released a huge album this year called By The Way, and I picked uh, one of my favourites from the album. Show love mellow sound for the Chili Peppers for this album. They'd kind of calmed down from that heightened sort of energy of the 1990s. This was right after Californication, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah. Um, By the way, sold more than 8 million copies worldwide. And this next song just makes me think of the Football Factory. Carl Barrett, Pete Doherty, they were tabloid fodder in the early noughties. They formed the Libertines in the early 2000s and the band that gained so much notoriety, mainly for the regular bust-ups that would take place between the pair, but Doherty's almost constant presence in the British tabloids for a string of misdemeanours and this song was taken from the album by the same name, Up the Bracket. mates who were big fans of the Libertines back then. All those years ago, Christ, we're almost at 20 years ago. We're going to wrap up with the sports in the time capsule 2002. Not before we play one more ditty from the year, and there's a great backstory to this. It's this. Oh, it's getting hot in here, so, so take off all your clothes. Okay, enough of this, please. <laughs> Loving it. Come on, it was your favourite. It was no, your favourite back in atrocious. I do believe, I was just saying, Nelly summarises everything that was wrong with music in the early noughties. But I do have a fun fact about the song because it is pr- it's written hot in her, like a sort of <laughs> West Country <laughs> farmer. It's getting hot in her. <laughs> now, the here is double R, which either makes it sound like a West Country farmer or makes it sound like some sort of luxurious place in the south of France as well. But um, the reason it's it has an extra R is to indicate that it is really hot. Okay? Definitely hotter than if only one R would be utilised. And it's also apparently a written expression of the St. Louis accent where Nelly is from. Christina Aguilera did the same thing on her song Dirty. (laughs) 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 Apparently, uh, another rapper (laughs) 
Chingy. I don't know. I haven't heard of Chingy before, but right there. Yeah. Um, I like it when you do it right there. Right, right there. Uh, again, it's a, bun- it's a it's a West Country Farmers Convention. Hot in here, dirty, no. and right there. You're Irish. This is all Irish. <laughs> You're taking it over the pot. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Bro. Moving swiftly on. Uh, speaking of St. Louis, Chris, this yeah. moves us on lovely to sport because your uh, nomination for Sporting Moment of the Year, I've clipped up some commentary but the floor is yours uh, yeah essentially it's a combination of 2001 it's the 2002 Super Bowl the Super Bowl New England Patriots against the St. Louis Rams Super Bowl 36 and it was where Tom Brady announced himself to the world the commentary is legendary it was Fox Colour commentator John Madden who was essentially there was minute, a minute 30 left on the clock 17 all and John Madden was saying this young quarterback he's just got to protect the football he's got to get it overtime Patriots can only win in overtime Tom Brady had none of it Bill Belichick on the sidelines with his coach uh, Charlie Vice. they said you know what kid go and sling it and he slung it he did he got them down the field within goal range field goal range and then Adam Vinatieri famously hit the field goal that won New England Patriots the Super Bowl can take a listen 7 seconds they got Vinatieri in range I'll tell you what Tom Brady just did gives me goosebumps here comes one of greater importance if he makes it. And it's right down the pipe. Adam Vinatieri. No time on the clock. And the Patriots have won Super Bowl 36. Unbelievable. Heck of a field goal, that. Seven. Oh, amazing. 48-yarder. Wow. And then, of course, Tom, the first of seven, still going strong at the age of 43. Yeah, it was a decent year for sport, actually. Tiger Woods arrived at the Open Championship in the summer. I say the summer. It was one of the worst weather years for an Open at Muirfield in recent memory. There was a storm that blew through on Saturday, and Tiger Woods, having won the Masters, having won the US Open, he arrived at Muirfield with an opportunity to go for not just a Tiger Slam, but a calendar Grand Slam. He was blown off course on that Saturday. Ernie Els was the man who ultimately emerged at Muirfield as the champion. That was his first Open Championship. It was the third out of his four major titles. He did it in a playoff against a Frenchman, Thomas Levey. In the World Cup in 2002, hosted, of course, by Japan and South Korea, it was redemption for this guy. He find Rivaldo. Yes, he can. Rivaldo! Oh, it's come off guard! Rivaldo! That's so amazing is, of course, what he went through in 1998. Yeah. He was ravished with a serious knee injury. He had the worst haircut known to man at that World Cup. Yeah, it was just the flop of fringe that was, was just, just left on the front. It was like the, the hairdresser had forgot to complete his shaved head. <laughs> Ridiculous. Um, the one moment that I remember from that World Cup was, of course, Ronaldinho's little free kick lob remember over David well. Seaman. Uh, just finally, it was a huge boxing bout. Uh, it was certainly a Mike Tyson who was well past his prime at this stage, but he came up against Lennox Lewis in his prime, and this is what happened. That's a crunching right hand, and that must finish it! It must finish it! Tyson cannot get up from that, surely. He will be counted out. Lennox Lewis seals his place in history forever and closes the book on Mike Tyson. 
quiz question. That fight took place where? Uh, Madison Square Garden? No. Vegas? No. Go on. Glasgow? You're kidding me. I swear to you. Glasgow, Scotland, was the host city for Lennox Lewis against Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson had problems getting a visa into the country. Well documented as to why that oh, is. Oh, wow. And he got into Scotland. Glasgow. Wow. Always remember that. Wow. I remember I was at uni during that World Cup and we used to get up. I mean, everyone uh, so in the, over in the UK, the games were on in the morning. Yeah. So you'd right. go to the pub at about 8 a.m. And Any excuse? Yeah, it was incredible. What a it was an amazing was. sort of Great time. To, to Tell you what, 2002. Really good year. Sneaked up on me a bit. And it was, of course, the scene of Pete Sampras's last major, um, the 14th. Yeah, when he 14th beats major. Andre? Not sure he was it Andre in the final? US Open final. The US Open final. Was it Andre? Fairy tale ending for Pete. I'm sure it was Andre. 2000. And two. I'll double check. I'll that. double check that as well. Sure but yes, and then of course the era of Roger Federer begins next year. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. 2002. Sons, happy with that? Oh, I'm going to give it like an eight. Eight and a half for me. Yeah. yeah, I like it. Yeah, I liked it as well. Off scripts, time capsule, rating and ranking the years that have shaped us. Thank you for listening to the time capsule. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate it, and please do if you've got a moment, give us a review. This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe today.